Hi, everyone. This is Regina. Hi, horse lovers. This is Lynn. This week on the Horse Industry Podcast. All right, Lynn. Now, before we get started on today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our friend, Angela Shirey and her business, The Detail Diva. I love Detail Diva. She has a sense of fashion and style for livestock and horses that is is truly unmatched. I have I think I have like three or four pieces and they're like statement pieces from her. Mm-hmm. They're like they're jackets with Aztec prints, etc. I have a like Louis Vuitton uh, uh, cattle shirt. It's mm-hmm. like got a show heifer on it with Louis Vuitton print around it. Like mm-hmm. I love Angela's sense of style and the things that she has created through Detail Diva. We're proud of her. And so check her out. You can find her on Facebook and you can also find her. She's got a shop that's like a Spotify shop. So anyway, check her out. She's cool. Okay. So Lynn, our great nation is on its 46th president. And I think back as a child, and I think that one of the very first things that was ever taught to me as a little girl was that George Washington was the first president of the United States, right? I did learn that early in school. Now, according to horsenetwork.com, George was also the third most horsey president in our nation's history. So in 2014, John Wilkinson wrote an article for horsenetwork.com. He dared to rank in top 10 order our U.S. presidents according to their equestrian abilities. Brittany Bevis also used this article for her own spin in a 2018 Equine Chronicle article. And I took what horsenetwork.com did and kind of added some of my own research and kind of a different spin to it. Primarily, a lot of the information that I gathered came from a website called presidentialpetmuseum.com. I love it. Oh, so much fun. It was truly fun to peruse. So this is what I'm going to do. When John Wilkinson did this for horsenetwork.com, he listed the presidents in order to as to their horsiness from 10th to number one. Now, I already told you that George Washington fell number three the way he rated them. But this is what I'm going to do. I've actually ordered his top 10 by when they were presidents. So I'm starting with the earliest. And then I'm going to work my way to the most current president. Oh, my God. Let me guess. Is George Washington first? Yeah. yeah. (laughs) There's Is that that math thing again or numbers? Anyway. That was an easy one for me. Because usually you quiz me. Right. And sometimes you stump me. But I wanted to get ahead of you there. You you completely beat me on that one. Thank you. But what I'm going to do. So I'm going to describe these presidents that he identified. And then you're going to guess at the end who he actually ranked as number one and number two. I've already told you number three. Okay. Are you following me? I'm making notes. (laughs) You better make notes. Okay. So what we're going to do is we're going to start with the first one. Again, the first president of our United States was George Washington. He was the president for us from 1789 to 1797. George was a total horseman. Thomas Jefferson called him the best horseman of his age and the most graceful figure that could ever be seen on horseback. Washington both bred 
and raced horses. It is said that Washington's Mount Vernon was an equestrian's paradise. For many years, it was also home to Georgia's prized warhorse, Nelson. Nelson was a chestnut with a white blaze and white feet. Washington stated that Nelson was his most favored horse to use during the Revolutionary War, as he was not easily provoked by gunfire or basically anything that was noisy or scary whatsoever. Like Nelson was brave. Nelson sounds like he was a very brave horse. Washington rode Nelson when accepting Cornwallis's surrender at Yorktown. The other horse that Washington rode frequently during the Revolutionary War was his gray horse named Blueskin. It's on Blueskin that you actually see many of George Washington's portraits. And Blueskin kind of looks like that whitish gray horse. Mm-hmm. In fact, I, I can recall. Yes. Yeah, there's a picture. picture. Yep. yep, right there. Washington ceased to ride Nelson after the war, and both Nelson and Blueskin were retired and lived out their life at Mount Vernon. So that was the first one. Wouldn't you love to have seen that stable? Oh, Joe, wait till you hear about some of the information I have on the stables at the White House. I would love. I There's something so magical and beautiful and regal and warm and inviting and as a horse barn. Yeah. I mean, as a little girl, I cannot tell you how many horse barns I designed on a a piece of paper. The textile's here, and there's eight stalls, and this is the indoor riding arena, and the wash rat. Yeah. And the horses hanging their head over the doors, the fresh straw bedding in the stalls. Like, there's just nothing. And I know we bed with shavings now, but there's just nothing than a freshly bedded Mm. stall with straw. It's it's picture-worthy. Truly picture-worthy. Okay, so I told you about George. Now I'm moving on to Thomas Jefferson. He actually served two terms for us from 1801 to 1809. Jefferson was a full-scale farmer and a respected horse breeder. Jefferson once wrote in a letter that he could not tolerate any form of exercise other than riding a horse. His beautiful homestead, Monticello, bred many notable horses. Jefferson was described as a bold and fearless rider. Caractacus was probably Thomas Jefferson's most well-known riding horse. Fold in 1775, Caractacus was the offspring of Jefferson's male, Allie Croker, and a stallion named Young Fearnot, a descendant of Godolphin Arabian. So I keep running across this, this Godolphin Arabian name. So I looked it up real quick. And Godolphin Arabian was an Arabian horse who was one of the three stallions that founded the modern thoroughbred. Jefferson named Caraticus after a first century chieftain of the British Cativanoni tribe who led an armed resistance of the Roman invasion. So must be he was kind of a history buff and a history supporter. You can visit the website Monticello.org to find a list of Jefferson's horses by name, which include but are not limited to. Here are some of the names. The General, Crab, Alfred. Silvertail, Oramore, Peggy Walflington, that sounds like a woman, (laughs) (laughs) Zanga, Odin, Polly Peachum, Silverette, Brimmer, Matchless, Fitzpartner, Wellington, Tecumseh, and let's not forget a pair of carriage horses named Remus and Romulus. What name do you like the best? 
I like Zanga. Silvertail. Silvertail. I can picture Silvertail. Yeah. His horse named Eagle was the last horse that Thomas Jefferson ever rode. Jefferson was very old by then and had to have help mounting the horse. So that was Jefferson. Now we're moving on to Andrew Jackson. He as well served two terms for us, 1829 to 1837. This president is the one that was called Old Hickory. Now, people called him Old Hickory because he was a strict and bold military officer during the War of 1812. Not only was Jackson as unbending as a tree, but also as tough as wood. Jackson bred thoroughbred racehorses on his Tennessee estate, the Hermitage. Jackson was passionate about horses and horse racing. As a young lawyer, well before he became president, Jackson became famous as one of the leading breeders and owners of thoroughbreds. Interestingly, in the early 19th century, horse racing was the leading sport in the country, unlike today, which is probably what the NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, etc. Well, back in the early 19th century, it was all about horse racing. Tennessee, where Jackson lived, had 10 established tracks by 1839. Thruxton was the name of Jackson's favorite Virginia-born racehorse. Thruxton was born in 1800. He was sired by Diomed, a thoroughbred brought to the United States from England, where his lineage was directly traced to Godolphin Arabian. I think that Godolphin Arabian needs his own episode. That I completely agree with you on. When Jackson left Tennessee for Washington, he brought his stable with him. The White House became a fully functioning breeding, training, and racing operation. Now, here's some Andrew Jackson trivia. He named one of his other favorite horses, Sam Patch. Sam Patch was one of America's first celebrities. Why? Because he was a guy that liked to jump over the Niagara Falls. Oh, nice. <laughs> that's kind of silly. A little, a little risky. I've seen pictures of Jackson's White House stables on, and they, oh my gosh, they're truly beautiful. It These big pillars on the front. And again, after seeing a variety of these stables around the White House websites and the different presidential websites, I am so distraught that they've all pretty much been burned or torn down. I was going to ask you that if any of the stables are still there. No, and I'm going to tell you which president did it. Okay, going on to the next president, William Henry Harrison. He was president in 1841 for one month, which I'll describe in a second. Harrison had a very successful military career. Then he went into politics. However, during all this time, he ran a very successful horse breeding operation. Around the end of the 18th century, this Ohio man was considered to be one of the more prominent breeders in what was then the Northwest Territory. William Henry Harrison served just one month in office before dying of pneumonia. Harrison's favorite horse was named Whitey. In fact, he rode Whitey to his inauguration in freezing cold temperatures without a coat, gloves, nothing to keep him protected from the elements. Thus, he died a month later. <laughs> exactly. He caught a cold that turned into pneumonia and died. That stinks. <laughs> I don't even know what to think about this. Uh, he's a, a typical man. He apparently... No, no, no. No, no. Kevin would be bundled up. <laughs> Kevin would be bundled up. 
Either way, William Henry Harrison's time in office is still the shortest of any United States president. It was a month. So I'm going to guess that he's not number one. <laughs> well, I, you don't know. Process of elimination. Okay. Through my research, I found that even today, there appears to be a $100,000 added William Henry Harrison stakes race at the Indiana Grand. The Indiana Grand is a racetrack located in Shelbyville, Indiana, about 40 miles southwest of Indianapolis. So in that regard, his legacy with horses lives on. That brings us to Zachary Taylor. He was our president from 1849 to 1850. When the former Major General of the U.S. Army moved into the White House, he took his beloved horse, Old Whitey, with him. And of course, I'm talking about Zachary Taylor. So do you notice that the previous president, his famous horse's name was Whitey? Yeah. And now, now this one's Old, old Whitey. Whitey. Mm-hmm. It said that Old Whitey would often graze on the White House lawn, and it was common for visitors to pluck a tail hair or two as a lovely parting gift, which eventually meant that the horse didn't have a lot of tail hair. I know, right? Could you even imagine that today? So first of all, there's a yes. horse grazing on the White House lawn, and then visitors can actually walk, walk up, up to, to this it. horse? I mean, like, that's not even going to happen. No, you have to sign a release that you're not going to get hurt. Yeah, uh, yeah, no. So anyway, this horse was prominently featured in several portraits with Taylor. Now, old Whitey was famous, but President Taylor also had a pony at the White House as well. PresidentialPetMuseum.com shared that a doctor told the St. Louis Globe Democrat that he had given Taylor a black pony some time before the general became president. Apollo was the pony's name. Apollo was once a trick pony from the circus. The doctor said that the pony back in the early days was quite popular. Apollo was in constant demand by the young ladies. So how did Apollo the pony come to be in Zachary Taylor's possession? Taylor's daughter wanted the pony, duh. And it seems that whatever Taylor's daughter wanted, she got. So she wanted the black pony, she got the black pony. Let me ask you a question. Yeah. Do you remember Zachary Taylor as one of the top presidents that comes to mind? No. I must have missed this one. (laughs) Apparently he didn't do... I mean, I'm going to say probably he just must have been like a vanilla president. Mm -hmm. Like there's no controversy, drama, wars, Mm -hmm. segregation, world wars, civil wars. He must have had just kind of a quiet four years. Well, interesting that you say that. He was only president for about 16 months. Oh, my God. What happened to him? Okay, I'm getting to it. Let's real quick, though. His daughter got the pony Apollo. She took really good care of him. And he made the pony made his transition from his home stable with Taylor's war horse, Old Whitey, to the Washington stable. So the horse and pony were only there a short time, a little over a year, because Taylor died after a brief illness. According to the History Channel or History.com, Taylor died on July 9th of 1850, and the exact cause of his death is still disputed by a number of historians. But, and I'm quoting history.com here, on a scorching 4th of July in Washington, D.C., Taylor attended festivities at the newly dedicated grounds upon which Washington Monument would be erected. According to several sources, Taylor gulped down a large quantity of cherries and iced milk and then returned to the White House, where he quenched his thirst with several glasses of water. Okay, I'm continuing on. Outbreaks of 
cholera, a deadly disease caused by bacteria, occurred frequently during the summer months in hot, humid Washington during the 1800s, when sewage systems were primitive at best. The bacteria were most likely present in the water or the iced milk that Taylor drank. Other sources have claimed that Taylor died of basically a combination of acidic cherries and fresh milk and other suspected food poisoning or even typhoid fever. It appears, though, that no one thought it was foul play. And he was very opposed. He was a president that was very opposed to succession and vowed to personally lead a military attack on any state that threatened to secede the Union. So Taylor died on the evening of July 9th after four days of suffering from symptoms that included severe cramping, diarrhea, nausea, and dehydration. His personal physicians concluded that he had succumbed to a bacterial infection of the small intestine. So that's kind of the end of that. But that's a crappy way to go. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like uh, January 1st. (laughs) Okay, so that was Taylor. Now we're moving on to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln served. I didn't I didn't have iced cherries with milk. What the heck was that? Right. I'm just trying to even think what that was like. Describe that again. Iced cherries. Yeah. I mean, okay. Okay. Were they? I mean, was it like moonshine cherries? (laughs) Wait, no, it was a large quantity of cherries and iced milk. So he just ate a bunch of cherries and then drank a bunch of milk. That sounds terrible. I mean, it makes me want to die. Right? Yuck. I'm sorry for his loss. Uh, Yeah, that was too bad. Okay, moving on to Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln was with us from 1861 to 1865. He was assassinated shortly into his second term. I know how he died. Okay, Okay, I don't we don't need to talk about that. Abraham Lincoln was certainly one of our most famous presidents we all know about. You may not have heard of Zachary Taylor, but obviously we've all heard of Abraham Lincoln. Which bill is he on? 10? 20? 20? I'll Google it. <laughs> you don't know either. I was going to say the $5 bill. IDK. George was on the dollar bill, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, you look it up, and I'm going to keep talking about Abraham, and when you're ready, let me know. So, Abraham Lincoln, sadly, it was during his time, one of the original White House stables was destroyed by fire. When the fire broke out in the White House stables, Abe literally had to be physically restrained by staff after attempting to run into the inferno to save his son's ponies. According to David Kent's article in 2021, Abraham Lincoln was working in his second floor office on February 10th of 1864 when he realized that the White House stables were on fire. Earlier in the day, Lincoln had a light lunch of strawberries and milk. So that's better. A little better. But wait, why is that even important? (laughs) The stable's on fire. Fire. Well, no, he had the light lunch of strawberries and milk ahead of time. Apparently food's important to presidents. I mean, if it's like strawberry shortcake and there's a biscuit involved with strawberry and milk. My question is, does strawberries and milk actually constitute lunch? That's like something I do walking through the kitchen. (laughs) I grab a handful of strawberries. Maybe that's why people... And milk? I don't drink milk. I'm not not a milk drinker. I do like almond milk. But I digress. We could have a whole discussion on almond milk. Like, Gina, how do you milk an almond? It doesn't matter to me. I just think it's lovely. I I don't mind it whatsoever. I like almonds. I like almonds. I just 
I like almond milk. Okay. It's tasty. Okay. Can we get back to the episode? All right. So Lincoln had a light lunch of strawberries, and then he opened office hours where the public could come in and discuss important topics with the president. Clearly, there wasn't a lot of people in the United States back then. They could just come and sit down and talk to the president. Anyway, around 8.30 p.m. after all that happened, Lincoln noticed smoke rushing out. His intent was to put out the fire, but it was already consuming the small stables. I guess the stables were made of brick. And so by the time the smoke escaped, the inside of the stables were already consumed in flames and had been burning for quite some time. Six horses perished in the fire. The loss of one of the ponies was especially difficult because it had been Willie's, the deceased son of Mr. and Mrs. Lincoln. Willie had died of typhoid almost exactly two years before. It was reported that after the fire, as Lincoln stood in the East Room looking out at the still smoldering stables, he wept. I know. The next day, President Lincoln consoled his other son, Tad, by saying that the horses had gone where all good horses go. Oh, I like that. They just, that's like to quote a recent Yellowstone. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. I haven't, I haven't watched this most recent season. I need to. Oh, and you've got to catch up on the other two. Yeah. 1812 and. 1923. Oh, (laughs) we might have that wrong. No, there's two of them, but they're both, they're very good. In fact, I like the newest one a lot. Obviously, Lynn, the burning of the stables was a horrible tragedy, but I do want to get back to Lincoln and give you some other information about him. His well-known horse's name was Old Bob. Not Old Whitey? No, not Old (laughs) Nope, he went with Bob. There is confusion about whether the name of the horse was either Old Bob or Old Robin, though Old Bob... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the old Bob is the name that's most widely used when researching this topic. It's believed that Lincoln named the horse Old Bob to differentiate the animal from his son, Robert Lincoln, who he called Young Bob. Anyway, Lincoln acquired Old Bob while practicing law in Springfield, Illinois. Old Bob replaced Lincoln's other horse, Old Buck, who became too old for regular use. Old Bob was stabled in a barn behind the Lincoln home with another Lincoln-owned horse named Old Tom. (laughs) Following his 1860 election to the presidency and prior to his subsequent move to Washington, D.C., Lincoln did sell Old Bob to a man named John Flynn. He was an Illinois drayman. Do you know what a drayman is? I have no idea. A dude who delivers beer for breweries. Cool. Right? Oh my God, he's a beer truck driver. That sounds like a fun job. Maybe that's something Luke should do. I don't know, though, because, I mean, it's like if you're the Schwann man and you're delivering ice cream, it's not like you get to eat the ice cream when you deliver it. That's true. I mean, it's... I I wonder how close they watch old John Flynn's inventory. We always try to leave beer out on our back deck for the UPS driver, the mailman, or anybody that delivers packages, and they never take us up on it. Oh, right. It's very generous of you. No, it's just really where we store the beer because we live in Michigan <laughs> and it's cold enough to not have to put it in the fridge. It's an outdoor but refrigerator. But that's what I say to make us not look like <laughs> people who keep beer on their porch. <laughs> <laughs> I don't drink beer. Mm. All right. Oh my <laughs> God, you just snorted. <laughs> 
Anyway, Lincoln sold Old Bob to John Flynn. And by 1865, Old Bob had been retired, except for a few ceremonial activities here and there in Springfield. Following the assassination of Lincoln, though, Old Bob was again brought out of retirement. During the funeral proceedings, Old Bob was basically adorned in a black mourning blanket that had silver fringe and tassels on it. I'm sure I'm sure you've seen pictures of that. Old Bob's spot in the procession was immediately behind the hearse and in front of the carriage carrying Lincoln's son. After the funeral, it's believed that there were several attempts to acquire Old Bob by individuals who just wanted to put Old Bob on exhibition. But John Flynn, to his credit, declined the offers to sell him. And Old Bob's ultimate fate, while unknown, is assumed that he finished his life there with Mr. Flynn. Okay, so that brings us to... Stop. I mean, this is a multiple choice question. Okay. Regina, whose face is on the $5 bill? Oh. Is it Andrew Jackson, George Washington, or Abraham Lincoln? I think it's Lincoln. Ding, 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 oh, ding, ding. Yay! Jackson's on the 20, right? I Yes. Yeah, so I Googled this okay. while you were talking. Yes. That was my assignment, and yes. I have accomplished it, and well you done. answered correctly. I'm so proud of myself and all of you listeners who also got that correct. Thank you, Lynn, for that information. You're welcome. Yes. Okay. That's now, my contribution to this episode. <laughs> now we're moving on to Ulysses S. Grant. He was the president from 1869 to 1873. By all accounts, Grant was a true equestrian. And I think I knew this even beyond this research that I've done. It seems to me that I've always read or seen information about him being such a horseman and how much he loved his horse. I mean, weren't there a lot of statues? Yeah. That had grand that had to come down because of I think so. Yeah. He he's he's been written about a lot. He anyway, he was very, very natural with horses. His riding ability made him a standout at West Point and later in the US Army. He was known as a fearless rider. He had the confidence and the ability to pretty much ride anything and break out any baby horse that came his way. Grant's most famous horse's name was Cincinnati. According to a website called lovetheenergy.com, which BTW, I didn't know existed. Would you think that lovetheenergy.com is a website about horses? No. No, but oh my goodness, there is so much cool stuff on that website that we definitely are going to have to peruse it more often for ideas and information for our podcast episodes. It's my new horsey hooves. It is. It's called lovetheenergy.com. Anyway, Cincinnati was a handsome and powerful horse, according to that website, and stood 17 hands high. He was chestnut with a solid, calm demeanor. People would remark that Cincinnati would seldom bat an eye at anything. Cincinnati was sired by a horse named Lexington, a thoroughbred with the fastest recorded four mile in the United States at the time. One of Lexington's other sons was a horse called Preakness, which is what the race is or who the race is named after the Preakness. Really? Yeah. I had no idea. That's great trivia. Yep. Again, lovetheenergy.com shared that after the war, someone offered Grant $10,000 for Cincinnati, which is about $177,000 in today's money. Oh, my God. That would make the Equine Chronicle breaking news. 
You are so right. <laughs> However, unlike those people, Grant would not part with his beloved horse for any price. In fact, Grant only ever allowed two other people to ride Cincinnati. One was boyhood friend Admiral Daniel Amen, and the other was President Abraham Lincoln. Grant and Cincinnati rode together until it was time for Cincinnati to retire, at which time Grant sent him to Admiral Dan Amen's farm in Maryland, where he later passed away of an old age in 1878. Most of the images and statues of Grant on horseback are of him riding Cincinnati. So when you see a picture of Ulysses S. Grant, pretty much you can be assured that he's on a horse, his horse named Cincinnati. That brings us to our next president, Theodore Roosevelt, 1901 to 1909. While many presidents were accomplished riders and breeders, no one embraced the cowboy horse lifestyle quite like Teddy Roosevelt. His rugged cowboy persona was more than just the image that he wanted to portray. He lived it, breed that loved it. Okay. Uh, Gina, do you remember our episode on the Four Sixes? Teddy Roosevelt visited the Four Sixes Ranch. Yeah, I yep, do there remember There was a little that. blip in there. Yes. You're right. Yeah. He, this was, he loved it. I mean, he, he truly, truly loved it. Also, Teddy, in 1898, helped to establish the first United States Volunteer Cavalry, famously known as the Rough Riders, to assist in the Spanish-American War. Even while in office, Roosevelt never neglected his cowboy ways. When White House officials tried to give him an automobile, he said, no way, the Roosevelts are horse people, and that was the end of that. Roosevelt was so serious about his riding that anyone invited to accompany him on the trails was given a printed copy of his rules of the road. Are you ready for them? Roosevelt's rules of the road. Number one, the president will notify whom he wishes to ride with him. The one notified will take position to the left of the president and keep his right stirrup back of the president's left stirrup. So you shall never go ahead of him. Number two, those following will keep not less than 10 yards in the rear of the president. Number three, when the president asks anyone in the party to ride with him, the one at his side should at once retire to the rear. Salute should be returned only by the president, except by those in the rear. Anyone unable to control his horse should withdraw to the rear. He was very, very, very specific about who rode with him and what they did when they rode with him. So here's where life with horses at the White House kind of changes. Up until this point, which is about 1911, horses were such a major part of our nation's capital. When President William Howard Taft, who served as president from 1909 to 1913, ordered the demolition of the White House stables to make room for a four-car garage. What a jerk. Oh, the history. The that was history. destroyed. They had no idea. No. shame. And probably during that time, you know, progress, you know, we don't need horses anymore. But the loss of the White House stables, to me, is absolutely, absolutely devastating. It's tragic. I'm sure, and we probably should look into this, but, and 
my daughter and son-in-law live in Washington, D.C., so I need to put them on a little task. I'm sure that there's still some stables here and there around the D.C. area that have been kept and preserved, but the stables at the White House, they're gone. So that moves us into kind of our current day presidents or what they call the current day presidents. The next one that I'm going to share with you, and I have just two left, is Lyndon B. Johnson, LBJ. Obviously, he took office in 1963 after John F. Kennedy was assassinated and he was our president until 1969. Everyone knows that LBJ was a Texan. He grew up cutting cattle on a ranch. He had that southern draw, the bolo tie. I don't know if I've ever seen him without boots. He, you know, a lot of people said that he seemed to be better suited for life on the ranch than in Washington. As a side note, he also had two dogs in office. He named those two beagles him and her. (laughs) (laughs) unfortunately her died after eating a rock and him died while chasing a squirrel across the white house lawn and getting hit by a car that was in that presidential it's just trivia that i would not have known i know for johnson his horse named lady b was the most famous horse that he had and she was a tennessee walking horse So that brings us to our final president as identified by Wilkinson in the HorseNetwork.com article. And this, of course, is Ronald Reagan. Oh, yeah. 1981 to 1989. We all know, at least the majority of us know, that Reagan was a cowboy without question and probably one of the most equine adept presidents in the modern area. He was a reserve cavalry officer in the 1930s, and he always made time for his horses. Although finding secret service detail that could keep up with him on horseback was a bit of a challenge. In fact, in 1981, history's first mounted secret service unit was sworn into office. And I try to find if that was still a group that existed, and I don't think it is. Because if you think about it, since Reagan... Who's really ridden horses? No. You know what I love about the podcast and what we do, Gina, is this ties, Ronald Reagan ties to another episode that we've done. Bruce called Clasier. Oh, yeah. Right? They took the cutting horses and they had a cutting on the White House lawn. Yes. And Bruce was in the Oval Office in oh. Boots and Spurs with Ronald oh. Reagan and Dale Robertson. Goosebumps. Right? It's yeah, awesome. I love this is. job. According to the Presidential Pet Museum, Reagan preferred horses that were long-legged, fast, and athletic. One of his favorite horses was named El Alamein. El Alamein was a gray Anglo-Arab and had been gifted to him in 1980 by Lopez Portilla, the president of Mexico. Nancy Reagan also had her own favorite horse, a horse named No Strings. I've started research on an episode that focuses on Ronald and Nancy and their ranch called Rancho del Cielo. So I'm kind of excited about that one, too. I, they were like, well, and I mean, Ronald Reagan was a movie star and then a president. But I mean, to me, they really, because of my childhood, I I remember them and just being so in awe of yeah. them and their horse ranch and riding and, and their passion for horses. I love that. We connected with him. Yeah, I mean, he, sure. was a, he was an equestrian. He was a horse guy. So he knew. Okay. Huh? He had to be okay. He well, yeah. Guy. He... <laughs> Right. So, yeah, I Ronald Reagan. Well, he was and he was in office a long time because he 
that was our childhood. So yeah, we're very familiar with him. So, you know, I kind of feel it was a little unfair to rank the modern presidents to their predecessors because the predecessors, I mean, the horses were transportation. They were, they, it, it's a different lifestyle, but still horse network ranked them. Well, I do feel that it's only seems fair that our nation's leaders appreciate horses. Maybe that's the problems we've been into in the last they need to be. They need to be more in touch with. Uh, yeah, because I'm not sure Trump, Biden, Obama. They're not real cowboys. No, no. So maybe our country needs to get back to cowboys. Okay, so Lynn, of the ten that I've mentioned, and I've already shared with you that George Washington himself was number three. Which of those ten do you feel? that John Wilkinson from HorseNetwork.com probably listed as number one and number two. Did Thomas Jefferson, he's the one that has the Monticello.org yeah. and, it ha- and that lists all the names of the horses. Yeah. I- I'm going to say Thomas Jefferson. Nope. Thomas no? Jefferson was number six. <gasps> I am wrong So he didn't even that. break the top five. Okay, try again. I don't no, I'm a bit stumped. Andrew Jackson had race horses. He had Sam Patch. Which Andrew was... Jackson was number five. William Harrison died after one month in office. It can't be him. No. He was number eight. Grant? Ulysses S. Grant was number two. Okay. Okay. Right. So you're missing the number one. So it must be a more modern president then. IDK, you have to guess. Teddy Roosevelt. Ding, 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 ding. Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy and Roosevelt. I, like, I am enamored by Teddy Roosevelt and that whole era. Yeah. Yeah. So, yep. Teddy was, Teddy Roosevelt was number one. His rules of the road. Clearly, horses were important to him. And after you read me the rules of the road, though, I wasn't really sure that I liked Teddy Roosevelt. <laughs> well, he was a confident man. He knew what he wanted. Right? He's like an arrogant jerk. <laughs> And then that's followed by Ulysses S. Grant. And then George Washington was number three. So there you go. As we wrap up this episode, I think it's really important that we advocate and lobby for our future presidents to be horsemen. Well, one of my favorite politicians right now is the governor of South Dakota, (laughs) Christy Nome. Oh, okay. I know nothing. She's absolutely like at the NFR. She carries the flag. I mean, she's a big supporter of rodeos, et cetera, and has her own horse. She has chaps that were custom made for her. Nice. She's pretty cool. All right. Christy Nome. So that's our story this week. Thank you for joining us. We look forward to spending more time with you and sharing stories of our industry. See you next week.